Hey, welcome to the What Connects Us podcast, where we explore human connection with people in the province. My name is Mason Gardner, and today we're connecting with Cadmus Delorme, Chief of Cowess's First Nation, to chat about what he's learned about progressive leadership and financial challenges on our First Nation. Let's go. All right, we are in anxious times right now in Saskatchewan. On top of the increase in snow and darkness, which I know a lot of people love, I personally don't, we're seeing a lot of growth in COVID-19 cases in the province as well. It's an uneasy feeling, and I find myself latching on to any good news stories or signs of positive change. Speaking of change, our guest this week is all about it. I cannot wait for you to meet Cadmus Delorme, who is a young and fearless Indigenous trailblazer who is in his second term as the Chief of Cowessis First Nation. As Chief, Cadmus has done some monumental things. Let me just rip some off for you. He's reformed their entire governance structure. He's drafted the First Nation's own child welfare law. He's introduced a solar power project. And he's even launched the first virtual healthcare pod in North America. And did I mention he's only in his mid-30s? We're going to chat about all of that, as well as Cadmus's progressive leadership style and the financial challenges that take place on a First Nation. Cadmus is such an engaging and personable storyteller, and the way he simplifies lessons learned is guaranteed to leave you motivated to make some sort of positive change in your own life. Trust me, you're going to like this one. What connects us to Cadmus? Well, let's find out. Chief Cadmus Delorme, thank you for joining us on the What Connects Us podcast. Thank you, Mason. Thank you for braving the elements to get here. I'm, I'm guessing the, the roads probably weren't the best after that big snowfall we just got, hey? It was it was, uh, it was was a challenge, but we got here. Yeah, awesome. Uh, before we get started, we're officially into month eight of COVID-19, it seems. It seems like a, a galaxy away from when we weren't involved with this, but uh, I know I'm feeling it, but I want to know how you've been doing personally through the pandemic. Absolutely. Um, it has tested me mentally, emotionally, um, a little bit physically too. Yeah. yeah, you're staying home a lot. It's... Um, you know, it, it allows me to to reflect on my my home life. Mm-hmm. Um, with COVID, you stay home. Mm-hmm. My job as a chief, you're out in the public. Right. And so uh, prior to COVID, I was very dedicated to being that public um, outside my home figure. Yeah. Now I can do everything from home. Right. So, you know, it has had its blessings in regards to me being in part of my wife and kids' family on a day-to-day purpose. We we have our routines now. So right. I've been handling it. My my yard is a lot cleaner than it normally <laughs> yeah, is. Yeah, totally. And um, it was adapting. Right. Yeah. So you talked about how you're used to, as a chief, being out in the public. What? How has Cowessis been handling COVID-19? And what's it like to be a chief during times like this and to have so many people relying on you during like a truly unprecedented time? You know, being a chief is um, no easy task prior to COVID. Oh, totally. You're, um, you know, a business mind you're managing poverty, you're um, motivating people, you're listening to people, and you're that external voice. Mm-hmm. When COVID hit Cows's First Nation, we stepped up and we just became leaders for mm-hmm. our people. It wasn't just myself, it was the elected council, the management, and vocal people in the community, and even external people that just, you know, thinking of Cows's in a good way. Mm-hmm. We struck a COVID-19 task force team immediately, mm. and we still have that core task force team today. Yeah, uh, We have no COVID cases as of this hour. Awesome. And um, everything is as normal as can be in unprecedented times. Right. 
Uh, we are now we're in six, 40 minutes from Regina, mm -hmm. so we are just far enough where we don't really commute from Regina, mm -hmm. uh, but we're close enough where, you know, shopping is, this is kind of our central place. So right. when cases do rise in Regina, it indirectly affects us. So yeah, with 920 people, uh, 230 homes on cows, mm -hmm. uh, human behavior has been probably the biggest challenge, yeah. is trying to motivate people to all adapt and do the same thing. Mask wearing is mandatory on cows. Only one person to two people per home were asking to leave to go shopping. Right. Uh, children are asked to stay home as much as possible, uh, minus school. Mm -hmm. So human behavior has been tested to its limits right. in the last um, 230 days or so since the pandemic started. Mm -hmm. And did you have any issues instituting any of these rules or anything like that? Or were everybody pick it up and did their part? There has been its challenges. You know, About 10 people mm -hmm. um, just think they, they know the pandemic a little better than others. Right. And so they um, refuse to wear masks. Mm -hmm. Still just maintain the life as if COVID wasn't here. Yeah. And so, um, you know, we worked with them. Mm -hmm. uh, there is human rights that, you know, it's, 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 totally. it's in unprecedented times. We like to say um, things like, you know, this is a time to put down your personal interest mm -hmm. or the communal interest. Right. And so um, in the past couple months, I've seen those 10 dwindle down to about two or three. Right. And so um, I, I'm in contact with all of them mm -hmm. at, at time to time. Yeah. Um, I remind them that, you know, this isn't just a Cadmus uh, initiative. This right. is to look after our kokums and mushrooms, our grandmas and grandpas, <laughs> totally, our, yeah. our kids. Uh, I go back to human behavior. You know, we are resilient people, mm -hmm. not just as cows, but in this province, in this country. Yeah. And this is a this is a moment in our timeline as mm -hmm. human beings where we have never seen this. And so to walk the walk is a lot harder than just talking yeah, the talk. Absolutely. So you're kind of alluding to your progressive leadership and we'll get that into a bit. But before we get too far, give me a quick introduction. Who is Cadmus Delorme? Give us some background on who you are so we can better understand your story. I'm from Cowes' First Nation. Um, both of my parents attended residential school. I, mm. I did not, but I was raised with their knowledge, their resilience, their um, you know, their drive to to be uh, to succeed. I grew up on Cowes. I yep. graduated from the high school in 2000. Right. I uh, had one goal at that time, and then that was to look like Eminem, Marshall Matters. <laughs> uh, if you ever uh, stalk my Facebook or Instagram, you'll see. Yeah, like, did you have the hoodie? Oh, like, no, I had the blonde hair. You had the blonde oh, hair? Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Like oh, no. early days, oh, Marshall yeah, Matters. Yeah. First, first out in <laughs> Slim Shady days. Yeah. I um, eventually moved to Regina. Mm -hmm for better job opportunities, made my way to First Nations University of Canada, okay. graduated with an undergrad degree in business administration. I kind of knew I wanted to get into politics at that time. Right. I was already on the student uh, um, association, student union uh, leadership. So I uh, said, if I want to be a chief, I don't normally, you know, chiefs don't normally, uh, weren't 34 years old. Mm -hmm. And so I started talking to some people and I was like, if I want to be a chief, I want to be a chief that has the tools readily available. So I went back to school to the Johnson Shiama School of Public Policy, got awesome. my master's in public administration. And I wrote my final in my last class on the um, April 26th. Right. And I was elected chief on April 28th. Oh, wow. You wasted and no so, time. Uh, I didn't get to celebrate my master's <laughs> too much. Yeah. I got to implement the tools that I learned. Um, I just got reelected in April 2019 to a second term. Awesome. Uh, being a chief has um, been uh, a lot of good learning experience for me. Mm -hmm. 
it's not just the education, it's the common sense. It's the ability to um, put yourself in their moccasins mm-hmm. and then turn around and how do you motivate them? I watched my parents struggle mm-hmm. and it's my mandate in this life to make sure that we don't sentence another generation. And so I take that very seriously. Yeah. I um, I always looked at myself as a role model to others. I wasn't too much into the partying scene. For a couple of years I was when yeah. I was a teenager, but um, you know, I lived that clean life. I've treated people like how I want to be treated. So... Mm-hmm. You know, just building my character one day at a time. I love being a chief. I love being in Saskatchewan. I love being in Canada. And mm-hmm. I just want to play my role in uh, every boardroom, um, every committee I can join to just help um, with reconciliation. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, I read in an interview that you said that you would not be the chief of Cowess's First Nation if it wasn't for golf. Tell me a little bit more about that. what that means. I don't normally talk about golf, just in case we meet on hole one. Okay. You know, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah. you know I got to act like I don't know golf till totally. we put you a wanna wager hustle me? there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was the provincial um, ama- mid-amateur golf champion. Mm-hmm. Um, I have grew up golfing my entire life. Cowses has last oak golf and country club. Right, yeah. Golf, to me, is like leadership. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you help people around you. You know, you're always looking out for people around you. When I'm golfing and I watch you hit your ball into the bush. Yeah. I'm watching where it went into the bush. So I walk up, I'll help you look for it. There. <laughs> totally. So I'm preparing to help you. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's honesty. You, know, you have one enemy out there and that's yourself. Right. You have one competitor out there and that's yourself. Yeah. And so I look at myself and my leadership now is um, I have one enemy in this world mm-hmm. and that's those negative thoughts that are in my mind. Right. And so I'm constantly, you know, um, reading books, listening to audio books, um, training my mind to adapt and to grow. Mm. And, um, I take, there's so much leadership in golf that has led me to where I am today. Right. Um, and I still golf a little bit, but I'm not at the uh, championship level right. anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I, I need to take up golf if this is what has inspired you to do such great things. I find with golf and you've nailed it, it's you need to have that patience and be able to self-talk. But it's like you hit one ball and you're like, I'm done. I, I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> and then you hit that one shot. On like 17 or 18, you're like, oh, I love this. Yeah, It'll get I'm, you back I'm awesome, time. for sure. Um, so how did your path lead you to being the chief of Cowess's First Nation? You said a 34-year-old is not typically a chief of a First Nation. Yeah. My dad was in elected leadership for years. He was an elected counselor, um, not not a chief, a counselor on a mm. First Nation. You have one chief and elected counselors. So I, I knew what leadership was about, um, you know, growing up in his in the house. Uh, you know, I watched him come home, stressful days. Yeah. I attended meetings with him as a young man just yeah. to, you know, tag along. And so my mom raised many leaders. A lot of our my siblings, you know, are in leadership levels, some elected, some in just, you know, some administration lead. So our home was, uh, I used to kind of tease my mom. I call her um, Kennedy's. I, you know, my mom <laughs> yeah. raised a bunch of leaders. Right. But, you know, we, um, I grew up on houses. Mm-hmm. I know the struggles the youth go through. I uh, know the education gaps that were needed to be adjusted. Mm-hmm. I know the social and, and even sports that, that had to be there. And I left houses to get an education to come home. Right. You know, like many people, the input your First Nation puts on you is I'm the outcome. So right. what's the impact that I could make? And that's going back home to help lift us just a little more. So mm. when I got elected as chief, it was, you know, a little different. I wasn't too many people that were 34 and a chief of a First Nation. Totally. Took me a couple months to, um, you know, really find my groove because right. there's no job description to being a chief. Totally. Um, I got to understand my role in the first six months and we just started momentum and 
today I, I'm still learning. Mm -hmm. I have mentor chiefs that I go to, yeah. but I'm now starting to help others as well that are younger chiefs and even mm -hmm. some chiefs that are a little more aged and understanding uh, you know, how adaption works, how how you have to adjust right. and stuff like that. So it, it's it's been a good journey. Totally. You said there's no job description for being a chief, but what does like a day-to-day -day look like for you? You get 50 emails a day mm -hmm. and you have no time to check them. Yeah. Uh, you get about 20 calls or texts a day, mm -hmm. um, Facebook message inboxes. Yeah. You know, one of the realities about being a chief is, you know, the legacy of residential school is real. Mm -hmm. it, it's not a myth. Right. Um, the legacy of 60 Scoop is real. And, you know, not everybody, but I'm a chief of 4,300 people. Yeah. 920 live on the First Nation. Uh, I'm not just focused on the First Nation. I'm focused, I mean, on the reserve. I'm focused on all. Yeah. And so, you know, a typical day for me is, uh, you know, talk a little bit about child welfare. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll get some cases that you have to intervene in and, and help to make sure that the best interest of the child's there. You then flip your mind to business. Mm -hmm. You want to get some business deals done because, you know, economics is, you know, our way out of our current situation. You manage poverty um, in not only physical, but mental and emotional. You motivate people. Um, you know, you have many bosses. Mm -hmm. I, as a chief, you're not a CEO. You're not a premier. You're not a mayor. Mm -hmm. You're not a prime minister. You're a chief. Yeah. And um, for myself on houses, there's eight elected counselors. Yeah. I don't make decisions. Right. I bring it to the eight and they make the decision. So I got to educate the eight. I got to explain it to the eight. And I got to make sure that the nine of us are flowing. And then you got your executive team that you got to keep, keep in, in flow. And so being a chief is never a dull moment. Uh, I have never been stumped yet. Mm -hmm. Uh, my education and you got to have a little bit of humor. Yeah. You got to learn to, to laugh at, you know, yourself and, yeah. you know, sometimes the mistakes you're making and you have to be a public speaker. And lastly, you got to learn how to chair and motivate meetings to right. keep you on the focus target. If you sway off your conversation as the chair, you got to learn to bring it back totally. as well as having fun. Yeah. And worst case scenario, you put on your headphones, you listen to some M&M, you get back in the zone. I have graduated from M&M. Have yeah, you? Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But when I still hear it on the radio, I'll still show my kids how good of a yeah, jam it was. Absolutely. Um, so what do you think the key was as a young leader coming in and assuming a role like chief? Was that that authenticity of growing up in Cowessis and coming back? Or what do you think that key was so that you kind of fell into that rhythm real quick? You have to be serious, you have to show maturity, mm -hmm. and you have to show understanding. I, My mom always raised her kids telling us, use your best friends more than your worst enemy, and that's your ears. Use nice. your best friends. Use yeah. your best friends. And your worst enemy is your mouth. You yeah. say things so much that people are going to stop, you know, listening or not agree with you. And so I took that very seriously as, you know, when I became a chief, I used my best friends a lot mm -hmm. you know, and I would repeat back to people what I heard. And, you know, when I gained their trust, I would build momentum off that. Mm -hmm. The second thing is you go to, I learned to bend in sway without breaking, mm -hmm. you know, my values and my character are everything to me. But when you're an elected official, it's not about you. Right. It's about your surroundings and moving forward. Mm -hmm. And you got to make tough decisions. And so tone always starts at the top. So my tone is always serious. Mm -hmm. But if I have a moment to crack a joke and make people laugh, yeah. I will. Yeah, show you know, that human and, side. And, and, you know, and it's, it's, you connect with people and you understand. And then lastly, it's about educating. You know, I go into meetings, I'll be a chief. I don't go in there pounding my fist. I educate. Mm -hmm. If I get frustrated, I'll educate. I'll explain it. 
over and over and over if I have to. And then I will say, explain it back to me how I'm not getting this then. Yeah. And you know, and to the moment where you walk out and you feel you took a step forward. Yeah. So I have a few gray hairs. I always <laughs> like to tease my wife. I got one gray hair for every month I've been chief. So yeah. it's, it's, you know, being younger is not a bad thing. Yeah. You know, I, I really enjoyed that. I started being a chief at 34 and now that I'm, you know, going to be 39 next year. I, I feel very prepared for, for that next stage. Yeah. And you talked about your gray hairs um, that comes with tough decisions that like you said. Um, this is my first time meeting you. And whenever I say your name or said, I'm going to be interviewing Cadmus Delorum, you get, oh, he's so cool. Mm-hmm. Or he's so progressive in his leadership. A quote that you've used before, I've seen you say, we don't want to live in third world conditions in some of our homes. We don't want the socioeconomic challenges. Tell me a little bit more about what that means and what your approach is for that. When you look at government and the way programs are delivered uh, on the reserve, it's, it's, it's too archaic. It's as if Canada progressed in the First Nation reserve government style. Yeah. The paternalistic, I'm not talking chief and council, I'm talking the paternalistic government perspective has to change and it has to change now. Uh, leaders are doing what they can to um, manage the poverty but it's adapting and getting uh, Canadians, getting the government of Canada, the provincial government. Uh, we don't need anybody in the grandstands anymore. We need everybody to play this part. Yeah. Uh, the Indian Act is, you know, one that is, um, you know, a very oppressive um, legislation. Yeah. And when I became chief, the chiefs before me and councils did great. We we had wind energy. We have the turbine just on the east side of Regina. Uh, we had our own election act. So, you know, one of the things I found out when I became a chief is we have to re- rebuild our house from the core outwards. Right. And let's decolonize. And so, and with decolonization becomes healing. And so we created our own constitution. Right. And that was one of the mandates that I uh, was asked to do, and we did it. Yep. Now we're doing our legislation stuff, one of them being child welfare. The other thing is, is we created boards that were non-political. So we have what you call ventures. It's a business board made of not only indigenous people, but anybody who wants to help houses grow in economics. Cool. Yeah, that's we, awesome. We're, we're farming now. We we have expansion to our win- renewable energy. We got, um, we got companies that we own that are ready to build things. Mm-hmm. And so it's uh, just about, as a chief, it's just about protecting political the minds that want to grow right and just working with them mm-hmm. and not not being afraid to take direction from them and so you know i i i really enjoy that you know i'm tagged as a progressive mindset yeah from my perspective my seat looking outwards is i want the ones that want to help a first nations grow yeah and i will feed them all the resources i can because we all ben- reap the benefits yeah is it tough like obviously change doesn't happen overnight um, and you, as a as a chief, you have terms. Is it hard to not just be like, no, I want this to be done tomorrow? Absolutely. That, yeah. uh, you know, I, I joke in meetings is, you know, my friend says change is good donkey. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, you know, cause change is, is the toughest thing to, to, to adapt to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm putting my shield down. I'll, I'll talk very openly here is, you know, we got some really good minds on our boards working on the, fr- within the first nation. Yeah. And, you know, that trust of non-Indigenous people working in Indigenous communities from some of my own people. And, you know, it, those, there's a, those are real frustrating conversations for me to have, you know, some of my, you know, and very little, we'll say, Chief, why do you got that white person working here? Well, yeah. It doesn't matter what color they are, it's 
they're here to help us. Let's let's just work with one another. And so, you know, it's it's you have to decolonize from both sides. Right. And you know, I go back to to change. If, you know, I got many bosses. I got eight counselors. I got uh, 4,300 people that, you know, many have opinions to how we can get to that end goal. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I love is we all agree on the end goal. It's just how you get there. I have to work with every person that has to get us there. And Mm -hmm. I'm not afraid of those tough conversations. I, I actually thrive on, you know, having let's put our shields down and agree to disagree and let's let's explain this to each other kind of conversations with people and we come out shaking hands smiling at each other and so if you know if i can say it like if i had it my way you know cows would be uh grain agriculture uh, progressive first nation yeah uh we're getting there not as quick as i wanted Uh, we would have uh, full jurisdiction of our children in care so we don't have to to have another generation of intergenerational trauma. Right. And then lastly, uh, our governance. Uh, we would have a non-political, good-flowing governance house that is not dependent on the elected officials. It's it's dependent on everybody playing their part, mm-hmm. including elected officials, to make sure we get to that end goal. Right. I love the analogy of putting your shields down. It's because if you're in an argument, confrontation, or even just working together with someone, it's like you have that, that shield, like you're guarded, and you have that armor protecting yourself as well. So putting your shield down basically means like put it all aside where we have the same goal here. I love that. Uh, you talked about battling poverty. Let's talk about financial literacy for a second. What's that like on reserves? And what are some of the main differences or challenges between how money is approached on a First Nation compared to an urbanized community? We inherited this this situation of poor governance. We all inherited and we all scratch our heads like what is going on here? Mm-hmm. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we get for, for, for cows first nation, um, majority of our money for only on reserve 920 people. Mm. So even though I have 4,300 citizens, 1300 live in Regina, yeah. we get, um, fiduciary grant, uh, money dollars from the government for our 920 people. Mm-hmm. We have to put back about 400 reports a year for that money. Yeah. So our program managers and our executive and our council focus so much on delivering reports back to the government of Canada yeah. because of trust issues that we have minimal time to focus on our change. actual shareholders and change. Yeah. And so, you know, funding is there. The inequality is there. I'll give you an example. Public works. Uh, we're not a tax-based First Nation because of treaty. Treaty, your exemption from taxes. In cities, you, you tax and you get your garbage, you get your, mm-hmm. you know, all your... So on the First Nation, uh, we have got a fixed number since 1996, and it has never been adapted in its 2020. Right. Uh, we get uh, $220 a home, and that has to be water delivery, sewage pickup, garbage pickup. We run that out in month two. Mm-hmm. So then we got 10 more months to figure this out. Yeah. So funding does have to change uh, from reporting to bring it up to the current numbers, mm-hmm. um, houses we are uh, really pushing and working with our government of Canada to adapt from 400 reports to 40 reports uh, by having new funding models, uh, funding relationship. Uh, we um, hopefully can see something come to fruition in the next year mm-hmm. that would make us a true self-government. Right. Um, the government does have its fiduciary obligation to First Nations, and that's its whole other conversation as you know some of the ignorant perspective is you know 
First Nations are a burden on taxes. You mm. know, why why do they, you know, why do they, as you know, quotations, you know, get all this extra up? Well, you gotta understand treaty that there's yeah. a fiduciary obligation and as long as the sun shines, grass grows, river flows. Right. Do you find that it is a challenge um in order to for financial literacy of of members of your community to make sure that they are being responsible with their money or in order to end that poverty? Is that ever an issue or a challenge? Definitely is. We uh, we do our annual audits. So we have two general assemblies a year. One of them is in the fall, which is you know about to happen to show our audit. Mm-hmm. Um, we have one in the spring that shows our budget. Yeah. And so the more we educate cows as First Nations people, the better questions they're going to ask us yeah. and the better ideas they're going to provide us. Uh, when you manage poverty... Um, you get money for health, you get money for, for education, Mm -hmm. but we don't get money for justice. Right. And so, you know, we, we are trying to work with our, with our ones that might be in the correctional centers that might, you know, have more financial burden, not only on cows, but on, you know, the province and country as a whole. And so we're trying to educate cows as people and non-cows people. We need to adapt our dollars. Yeah to current situations but a lot of our money goes to to poverty it goes to to just feeding the consistency rather than an investment yeah and you know when you get dollars you have to have an investment in order to to get better to to not sentence another generation so and that's where self um sustain sustainability comes in and that's why as one of my mandates i love to focus on economic development yeah that will fill the gap that we have Okay, let's pause for a second because I want to build a bit more on the financial literacy conversation as it is a huge factor that contributes to poverty. Obviously, poverty is a complicated and a systemic issue, but if someone were looking for a few ways to improve their financial literacy, there are some quick and accessible tools to get them started. This month is coincidentally Financial Literacy Month, and I reached out to Rachel Lingen, who is leading the project from Connexus side. I asked Rachel if someone were looking to strengthen their financial literacy, where should they look or what resources are available to them? This is what she had to say. Yeah, we have a ton of great resources available for people looking to strengthen their financial literacy. First, we have the Connected Money Talk blog that provides expert advice, practical help and tips and solutions on topics such as budgeting, savings, and navigating life events. People can also access a range of tools that we have on our website, connected.ca to help them when it comes to their financial planning. So we have the budget calculator, savings calculator, retirement planner, or the TFSA calculator. Outside of Connexus, we have some really great community partners, such as the Saskatchewan Financial Literacy Network. Um, And so they also have a great range of resources people can access, sharing information on topics such as money basics and banking. The theme this year for Financial Literacy Month is really around helping individuals understand their finances. And I think if COVID-19 has taught us anything this past year, it's that if one thing's for certain, it's uncertainty. And so our hope is that with these tools and resources, individuals can be better equipped to handle and navigate that uncertainty. Thanks, Rachel. Regardless of your situation, I highly recommend taking advantage of those quick tools to build your financial literacy and take control of your financial well-being because you never know when a, I don't know, global pandemic might throw everything into chaos. Now let's throw it back to our interview with Cadmus. Let's talk about your progressive leadership. In the interview, I've seen you refer to your leadership style as the response I often get is that I'm a breath of fresh air because of the way I approach it. 
Tell me about the challenges you faced and the change you've helped implement and the approach you took to make that happen. When I first got elected, we we assessed what the current situation of Cowes was. Uh, it was very um, pyramid style, chief and council have to approve everything, flow down. Council are um, mean well, but any elected official, First Nation or not, their main mandate is to get reelected. Mm-hmm. And so your duty of care is not to the organization. Your duty of care is to get reelected. Right. And so sometimes that affects your economic development. Yeah. So when we re-governed ourselves, I, you know, explained to the first, the chief and the council, let's create a board, call it whatever we need to. We call it ventures and let's uh, put uh, seven individuals on there and let's hand all of our businesses off to them for them to oversee. And so we did that. As easy as it sounded, giving up power is always a struggle as well. Totally. And so some of the council, you know, for for decades have only known chief and council to boss around, to, yeah. to you know, go into these businesses and, uh, you know, lay down the law to make sure that they stay popular. Right. And now sometimes some of the b- decisions these boards are making is for the best interest and duty of care to the organization. Mm-hmm but sometimes it affects people in those businesses. And if they're First Nation and from Cowses, they normally turn around and go tell the counselor and counselor yeah. will bring it back. And so we all have to change our mindset a little bit yeah. in order to adapt to this. Yeah, uh, It is gonna work, it's gonna work well, and it's gonna keep everything flowing well. So, so that is one is the governance part of it. And that's yeah. so interesting because when you think about making positive change, one of the things you think you need to have that is power. And you kind of relinquished your power in order to make that happen. And that's, I think that's a progressive way to do it in itself. Absolutely. Shared responsibility. And that's the way I look at it. The other thing is, is businesses won't invest in First Nations because mm-hmm. of the high risk. We have elections every three, every two, three or four years. Mm-hmm. And if leadership changes, that changes the mandate. Yeah. And so when all businesses float under chief and council, every time a new chief and council got elected, it changed the mandate. So we were a high risk investment. Mm-hmm. With this new structure, we're a medium to low risk investment because the board will always, you know, have the decision making power on behalf of the businesses. Mm-hmm. Chief and council will always come and go, uh, but your boards will always have the same bylaws, um, you know, sign the same agreements. And so um, we become a medium to low risk and mm-hmm. you attract more business minds to come and strategically align themselves with you. Yeah. We're talking about progressive leadership, but I don't think I'm doing a good enough job of setting up just what you've done. So let me brag about you for a second and, and the incredibly innovative things you've done. So just to name a few, Cowasis has drafted their own child wel- welfare law. You've launched a solar power project. You launched the first virtual healthcare pod in North America. All of these things could be featured on their own podcast, but how have you been able to enact these changes and ensure your community is on board. I do it by empowering the people around me. And I'll give a quick example. Sean Hazen, a mentor of mine, friend of mine. Mm-hmm. And um, him and I just started talking one day about health. Mm-hmm. We talked about the treaty right to health. I explained to him what that meant. I explained to him how you know there's a gap in health for First Nations. And um, we eventually led to this, this pod. Mm-hmm. That's a good example of what people have ideas out there and people want to help. Yep. You know, we, we all inherited this together and people want to help. Sean is one of those people that wants to help. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he just, him and I just met at the right time and we got that, that pod going. The uh, solar um, is, uh, you know, we have a solid 
economic development team internally. Yeah. Uh, we found a grant opportunity uh, because you do need to put in your own equity and we put our own skin in the game. We put our own money there and SAS Power um, had some um, mandates to work with First Nations. Uh, we capitalized on that. Uh, we got some set aside. And so we are going to be 11 megawatt producing agreement with, with and it, it goes with our stewards of the land. And then lastly, mm -hmm. with child welfare, I sat with an elder one evening in her house and had tea. Yeah. And she, you know, really expressed to me how concerned she was about her grandkids. Yeah. And I asked her, what should we do about it? And she said, why don't we control our children in care? And I said, why not? Mm -hmm. And I was like, what's stopping us? And uh, that's when Bill C-92 was starting to be talked about. Mm -hmm. uh, I told her, leave it with me and we'll, we can figure this out. And we're two months away to three months away from signing the first in 70 years, a First Nation to have full jurisdiction over wow. their children in care. Wow, that's amazing. And what I think is so awesome about like these stories you're telling is that they're truly coming from sitting down with people and, and lowering your shield and having just authentic conversations. And it's easy as a, a politician or a chief or a mayor to have these conversations say, yeah, we'll look into it and then go and then nothing happens. But you seem to have these conversations and truly care about the people you're talking to and wanting to make their lives as well as their future generations better. Well, thank you. I, you know, every topic I just talked about and we're doing uh, is going to have an impact on the First Nation, you know, from child welfare to economic de development to improving the treaty right to health. Yeah. And how do you draw this courage in order to not just have these conversations, but go out and make those decisions to do it? Where does that courage come from? As a leader, and this is just uh, me sharing, I love studying leadership. Mm-hmm. You can't be a leader unless you know what the end goal is. You have to know what the end goal is in your mind. And my end goal for cows is, is to be a First Nation that is um, aligned with the adaption of our province and country mm -hmm. while keeping core to ourselves as who we are as Indigenous people. Right. And, you know, we are going to have no children in care one day. We're going to have all of our youth hit grade 12. Yeah and have that option of trades, university, college, etc. Our elders are going to speak our language. Our parents are going to wake up so their children can watch them get ready for work. When you know your end goal, I just wake up so motivated in the morning on yeah. how to get there. And, you know, you deal with a lot of issues on a day-to-day. -day. And, you know, sometimes, you know, if I can get a dollar for every time I was told, I don't know how you do it, Chief, to... to go through all these every day. Mm -hmm. I don't look at it like that. Yeah. I look at it that that's my role. You know, I can have a real ugly day sometimes. And, you know, I always tell myself when I put my head on my pillow, did I take a step forward or did I take a step back? Yeah. And some days I do take steps back and yeah. they're really, really disheartening to me because I, you know, take it very personally. Yeah. But all it takes is one child in care or one child in the, in the community to come up to me mm -hmm. and just share a story with me. And I'm 100% again. So yeah. to re refuel me is really easy. Yeah. And I think that's where leaders have to, from my opinion, you have to know your end goal and you have to find ways to refuel yourself really fast. Right. Yeah, you're giving me a to-do list of things I have to do. Like I have to golf more. When I put my head on the pillow, I have to think less about what I'm going to wear tomorrow. <laughs> I've got to focus on the long <laughs> term. Um, so on top of all 
of that, you've also taken major steps to keep your community safe and lead by example. And this included banning members for dealing drugs. Tell me a little bit more about that and what that experience was like for you, because that is an intimidating thing to do. You know, it's one day when I'm not a chief and I look back, that's one thing I'm not going to be proud of mm. is banning people. That's the last thing you want to do is you, you're trying to create a community that you want people to run to. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, um, there are some individuals that have their own mandate. Yeah. Um, we, uh, you, you don't hear these between the line stories. Uh, we have banned three people in the last year and a half. Mm -hmm. Every one of them had some affiliation to crystal meth. Mm. Um, you know, and I'm being very open here. Yeah. I, I, we have addiction workers readily available. Right. We got a preparation center ready to help people find jobs, get their resumes. Um, our social assistance numbers has went from 130 to as low as 45 people just wow. with how aggressive we are trying to help people yeah. find jobs. It's like fire in a dry field mm. when it comes to drugs yeah. and there's gateway drugs. Yeah. We took an aggressive stance by telling people through a very confidential letter, mm. if you don't adjust, this is your warning. Right. And sometimes they didn't adjust. Right. And so we banned them for one year. Yeah. Uh, when their year comes up, I reach out to them. Right. And I let them know that, listen, we want you to make this place home, mm -hmm. but if you don't align yourself at least at a minor level, that knowing what drugs do to you and to our loved ones, mm -hmm. then um, we're not afraid to extend it. And so it is a bold, it is aggressive, mm -hmm. but it's not our first choice. Right. Yeah, I, I like that analogy as well with fire in a dry field because it just takes a spark for everything that you've been growing to now go up in flames. Yes. And, you know, I, I just wanted to add in there and I've been critiqued about this one and, you know, I, I can handle it, but, you know, are you just going to send them to the city? We in no intention want to provide that to other areas. Mm -hmm. We just have such limited resources yeah. on a first nation doing that is, you know, saving 10 other people. And so, you know, those are really tough decisions yeah. that, that we talk about and have to make. Yeah, absolutely. And I know those are hard things to talk about. So thank you for that vulnerability. Looking back on when you first decided to put your name in for chief, what have you learned about yourself since? Well, that's a good question. I never realized, and I'm not trying to sound too high on my horse, but mm -hmm. I, I never realized I can handle this much pressure. Right. You know, I... I I love being a chief. Yeah. You know, I just. You can tell. Absolutely. I, I, and there's a lot of pressure on, on me at days. And I, I don't, I don't break the people's pressure or bullying. Mm -hmm. I empower the voices that are usually sitting in the back along the wall mm -hmm. and don't speak up. And lastly, my dad passed away two years of, uh, uh, two years ago. He had, he got dementia and you know, it was a tough, tough yeah. last year, but, uh, to have him watch his son be a chief was like just very emotional. And, you know, yeah. you could just see how proud he was. And my mom's still with us today. And, uh, you know, she's older now. She's 71 and she had a pretty rough life. So, you know, what my parents went through and now they get to see one of their children, you know, um, not able, not not afraid to stand up in crowds to, to speak, mm. to, to be funny, to be on the news, to, to you know, to, to do things. Uh, those are the three things that I, you know, have learned being a chief is, you know, just I love to make people 
feel that they can put their head on their pillow knowing that, you know, us as Indigenous people, we're changing. Yeah. You know, and I love to be that person. I take it very seriously and I have fun at the same time. Yeah. And then the other two is just, you know, I didn't realize how much pressure I can handle. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if I can throw one more thing in there, yeah. I never lost my humor. Yeah. You know, I, I love to tease mm -hmm. and I love being teased. You right. Know? But there's a time to tease and a time not to. I learned that really quickly yeah. being a chief. You, you can't be looked at as, you know, a joke or joking person. Mm -hmm. So if I have a chance to say a joke just to lift the room, yeah. I will. But then I'll just change it back to, you yeah. know, got to be very serious at the same time. Yeah, there's a fine line there, hey, before people don't take you seriously or is this an immature time to have that conversation as a joke or anything like that. But, uh, no, you can already tell you, 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 you know how to walk that line. <laughs> um, so you're in your mid-30s and you've already created a legacy of just fearless leadership. What would you say to someone at a similar age, regardless of their background or their culture, what would you say to motivate them to make the similar impact that you've made? It happens one day at a time. Every day you must grow yourself. I, I remember back in my 20s, I, I was um, moving off the reserve and didn't really know what I wanted to do with life. I just, I was confused and I just made a commitment to myself one day at a time. I kept telling myself one day at a time. And now today, you know, I'm 38 and one day at a time, almost 15 years ago had mm -hmm. put me to where I am today. Yeah. I just committed to one day at a time mm -hmm. and I became my own best friend rather than my worst enemy, mm -hmm. you know, and I quit questioning myself and just started to develop my mind, my brain, my body. And so, you know, that, that's what I would pass forward is, you know, sometimes you don't know what role you play in this life, yeah. but just, just be ready because mm -hmm. when it's there, if you're not ready, it's going to pass you by. Yeah. So I develop myself right now to be a chief. Mm -hmm. you know, someday I'm not going to be a chief. I, I'm already developing myself to what that is. And I don't even know what it is yet. I'm just, I just continuously need to do one day at a time, grow myself. Yeah. That's so powerful. Like I'm sitting here across the table and I'm just like radiating. I'm just buzzing, listening to these words because they're so relatable, but it's not like you're doing anything groundbreaking in terms of setting yourself up for success. And if there's one thing I could add into there, it's yeah. The way you treat people. Since I was a kid, I never really, you know, and I'm, I'm not perfect. I've had my flaws, but I never really treated someone badly. Yeah. You know, I, I disagreed with them. I would let them know. Um, but, you know, I would shake their hand and smile at them and walk away. Mm -hmm. And you'd be amazed 20 years later when you meet that person and all of a sudden you're sitting at a meeting together and you yeah. look at each other. And, you know, I, I just feel that I gain that respect because... Yeah. I didn't treat them for wanting something in that moment. Yeah. I treated them knowing that we would cross, cross paths again. So, yeah. you know, there's, um, it shows by how you treat people to how much momentum and respect you get back. And mm -hmm. that's huge in leadership. If, if you don't have respect, you are not going to grow momentum. Totally. And treat everyone the equal, like the same respect, like whether it's the janitor or the CEO of a company, treat them with the same level of respect because you never know when you might see them again and in what, what capacity. Absolutely. So we're through the tough questions. Um, I want to have some speed round questions just to get to know you and this and this fun loving side that I know is in there that wants to wants to come out. So I'm going to hit you with some speed round questions. Sounds good. Uh, what are your hidden talents? Besides rapping, because <laughs> you've already made mention of uh, Karaoke and me don't get along. No? My hidden talents. That's a really good question. I love to 
to continually add on to jokes. Yeah. You know, like if we're sitting there just having wings or, or having, I will just, I could always one up someone's joke to the <laughs> yeah. point where it's like not even funny anymore. Right. You look at each other like, hey, we went we a little Enough. too far. There. Yeah. Second question What does Cowasis do better than anyone else? We have the biggest population in Treaty 4. We're 4,300 people. Mm-hmm. And people will ask me, why are you such a big First Nation? I said, because we're so good looking and we know it. So. <laughs> yeah. But you know, the other thing is, is um, we have so much talent out there. We have doctors. We have masters, people with their masters. We have people that are entrepreneurs. Mm. We have, and our ancestors have taught us this, to adapt to change since and even prior to treaty. And um, there is uh, any Cows' First Nation person you meet, they most likely would have a story to tell you right. about home or about family. Uh, we are we are everywhere, and uh, we work in many environments. If I could add on something that Cowasis does better, the burger at the Last Oak Golf Course, mm-hmm. it's so good. My dad used to take me golfing as a kid, and I would tolerate the first nine <laughs> to get into the the clubhouse to have a burger. It's so good. <laughs> I'll pass it on. That's that's Grace and uh, that's Auden Bryce for you. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'll pass oh, that yeah. absolutely. What food can you never get sick of? I'm a keto, so oh, I I, are I, li- you? I live the keto life. Okay, you're one of those. There's hey? these um, cauliflower crackers at Costco. Okay, I demolish four <laughs> to six boxes a week. I, yeah. I, they're so good. Um, I like my meats. I like them just as natural as possible, my steaks. Yeah. Um, but if there's one go-to food that um, I absolutely love, it's not a food, it's soda water. Really? I could drink soda water all day long. Yeah, I'm not. It's like if I'm having soda, it's like I want that crisp of like a Coke or something mm-hmm. like that. I can't get on that, that train. Yeah. <laughs> um, What's the first trip you'll go on post-pandemic? Vegas. Vegas? My wife and I, uh, we love Vegas. Yeah. Uh, we don't gamble. I don't drink. Yeah. But it's just the atmosphere. And oh, maybe it's totally. not there when I get back. Yeah. Uh, we've been to Cuba, and I, I love Cuba. Yeah. Uh, we've been to Mexico. Uh, we went on a Carnival cruise. And so we got to experience mm-hmm. some really cool places. But Vegas is somewhere I would want to go back to yeah. right away. Yeah, just the buzz and the energy. You just leave like... What did I just experience? Absolutely. Um, fill in the blank. Saskatchewan is blank. Saskatchewan is adapting. Mm. It's not adapting as quick as I want it to be, but right. it's adapting. Yeah. It's um, you know, and I, I'm an indigenous person. And somebody asked me a question one time. Well, how how does it feel to be an indigenous so and so? And I'm like, well, I don't know how it is to be a non-indigenous so and so. So I, <laughs> yeah. I I'm not sure. Yeah. But you know, we we have. 74 First Nations in this province. Mm-hmm. We got um, in the cities, you know, a high population. And um, the province is understanding what reconciliation is. Yeah. But we're not all on it yet. Yeah. So we're adapting. Like I would say Orange Shirt Day this year was the first time in a long time where I've looked and seen like, okay, people are starting to get it a little bit more. So I would totally agree with with, with that. Nice. Um, final question. What connects us? What connects us is the land that we share. Mm. We all share this collectively. And what else collects, connects us is we're all thinking of our next generation. Mm-hmm. And everything we do today, both progressive and backwards, mm-hmm. if I can say it like that, if we're moving backwards, will affect our next generation. So yeah. that's, that's what connects us.
That's a good one. Cadmus, thank you for joining us. I feel like I could accomplish any task I set out to for the rest of my day. You are so inspiring. The words you say, I find just hit hit harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not surprised with your progressive leadership. You're doing amazing things and Cowess is, is truly in good hands with you. Thank you, Mason. Well, that's it for this week's episode of the What Connects Us podcast. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. If you like the podcast, please do us a favor and hit that subscribe or follow button and give the post a like, comment, or share. We'll see you in two weeks. Until then, Cadmus and I are off to rap battle.